James Golden, a.k.a. Post Nerdly, on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. And yes, here we are at Saturday morning, early Saturday morning, earlier than we usually get together. These are the new hours. A three-hour Saturday morning radio extravaganza here on WABC Talk Radio 77. If you'd like to be part of the program this morning, simply dial 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222, and so much. But now we have three hours, and it's still going (laughs) to come up short with all the news that's out there. Of course, we can start with New York news. This is wonderful that finally a little common sense has prevailed and the mask mandate in schools has been lifted by the mayor, Eric Adams. He has rolled back pandemic-era restrictions. Beginning next week, restaurants, concert venues will no longer have to require proof of vaccination. Isn't that lovely? Next week, they can go back to being a little bit more free. Wow, thank you for our freedom, Mayor. Oh, I know, I'm supposed to sound grateful. Um, And then the mayor said, this is clearly an Arnold Schwarzenegger moment. We'll be back. Really? An Arnold Schwarzenegger moment? I can think of, never mind. Uh, Individual businesses will still have the option of requiring proof of vaccinations especially businesses that want to go out of business. They will enjoy it. So folks can come in, enjoy the restaurants, enjoy the businesses, and be part of this great city without having to show proof of vaccination. And if they can get past the criminals that have been released on the streets, thanks to Democrats, they should have a good time, right? There is a good New York story, and I want to make sure we get this up top while we're You know, because New York, I know I focus a lot on the crime because it has to be curtailed here in this city. And in order for it to be curtailed, there's going to have to be legislative action to roll back these silly bail reforms that allow criminals to get off the hook. And without bail, just like this latest guy, this poop criminal who smears his own poop in a woman's face in the subway, they take him into custody. He's arrested twice. He's got... And this is just recently. He's got a long rap sheet, of course, like most of these criminals do. And he's laughing now because he's been released on bond twice. He's up for hate crime charges. That's not enough to keep him in. And then he's up for this vicious, horrible, putrid attack on this innocent woman. And he's out. And he's laughing. And by the way, he also cursed out the judge in one of his arraignments. There's a nice story about New York. A man in New York City was on his way to work when he realized he lost his wallet somewhere in Times Square. You lose a wallet in Times Square, chances are you're never going to see that again, right? He returned to the area to look for the wallet. When two police officers approached him, a woman had discovered the wallet on her way to work, turned it into police. Authorities returned the wallet, which still had, guess what, four thousand dollars in it four thousand dollars is a lot of money to be carrying around in the wallet that must have been one thick wallet but for everybody that thinks new york is just and new yorkers are just some of the coldest people in the world i will tell you what new yorkers 
we are an amazing blend of people. You can find like this 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 poop criminal, the worst of human debris among us, but for the most part, for the most part, New Yorkers are just amazingly great, resilient, wonderful human beings. That's who we are. And it is just amazing that given the character of most New Yorkers, that what we see in the elected class are these progressives who very often are without basic common sense that we elect progressives in New York, like Alvin Bragg, who believes that criminals should get a pass, apparently, and that we have a bail reform that has clearly failed the people of New York, and yet the political will and political courage to overturn this 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 horror story of a so-called reform is not underway. In my view, every single person that voted for this bail reform should be highlighted and they should have this around their political necks when they run for office. Because this has cost people their lives. This has unleashed all sorts of horror in New York. But again, New Yorkers themselves... Some of the greatest people on the face of the earth. We, Of course, we're in the greatest city. I say that every day because it's true in spite of the challenges. And here's another one of the challenges that we face. Three Asian students at New York University reported being attacked just this past month. At least six students. This is just at NYU. Were assaulted in February according to the college newspaper. Students are upset at the slow response from campus police. There are now uh, efforts to improve the lighting on the campus. We are conscious of the unease that Asian members of the NYU community may be feeling right now said one of the administrators, we stand united and full in full support of them. We want them to know they have our support and that we're determined to make them feel secure on our campus. Well, like so many other parts of this city, there seems to be a lack of a law enforcement presence. It still blows my mind that some of these attacks in the subway have happened in some of the most highly trafficked subway stations, Queens Plaza, Union, you know, uh, now down near Cooper Union, the subway station down there. I mean, these are highly trafficked areas. And I don't understand why, with Mayor Adams saying that he's, that, that safety of New Yorkers is the top priority, why we don't see an what some people might think would be an overabundance of police. More than one, more than two, certainly. These are areas that need to be protected, these public areas. And if we don't have enough police, why in the world would the police budget be flat this year? Which is what Mayor Adams did. He flattened the budget. It's not, he did not increase it. A lot of the spending that happens, and we're talking about billions of dollars in this city budget, 
And a lot of the spending is circumspect. All of the money that, for instance, was supposed to go toward mental health under the last sad sack administration with de Blasio and his wife, a lot of that money has never been accounted for. There are millions of dollars inside the New York budgets of these agencies that could be removed from wasteful spending programs and put toward what the city really needs, which is a more defined police presence. But yet, the the mayor that ran on law and order seems to be not checking all the boxes when it comes to doing everything possible to make sure that New Yorkers seem safe and that people in New York City are safe. So great, the mask restrictions are finally lifted. The, 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 the vaccine passports are no longer required. But you're not going to get a full return to a bustling, robust economy until people feel safe. And if this is the stated objective of this mayor and the other elected officials in New York, then they have a long way to go to demonstrate that they're serious. Now, I contend that for the past century and a half, almost two centuries now, two centuries, two centuries, for almost 200 years, One political party has been ruling New York for the most part. And the entrenched corruption that has resulted from that at some point has to be dealt with. How is it that you can have a bail reform law in New York, which apparently cannot be overturned, that lets criminal after criminal after criminal after criminal back onto the streets, and no one says, hey, this is not working, let's stop it. Let's stop this thing dead in its tracks. How is it that you can have these criminals preying on people in some of the most highly trafficked areas in the city, and there's not enough police presence there to stop it or to or to at least put a little bit of fear into these criminals that perhaps they are in the wrong area. Move along. Get out of here. How is it that this mayor, that these these elected Democrats expect people to want to come back to their offices, to come back to view the amazing culture that is offered here in New York, from Broadway to our incredible museums to the Met. Oh, there's a story about the Met that we have to talk about today, too. And I'm a little bit torn on that one. I mean, I understand. We'll get there in a moment. But how do you expect people to come back and make New York robust when some of them are fearing for their lives, when students... Asian students who had nothing to do with COVID being spread in this country or anything. These these are Americans. 
And if they are here visiting from another country to go to school here, and maybe they're not American citizens, they are guests in our country. They are guests in our city. And these students, of course, should not be subjected to this sort of mindless hate that allows people, criminals, to attack them. This is absurd. Mayor Adams, you have got to do better. You might be a one-term mayor. This is starting to look to me just like Dinkins. You know, everybody's, here we go again with David Dinkins. One of the worst mayors in New York City history. I mean, Mayor Beam, those of you that remember Mayor Beam, he wasn't a piece of cake either. Another useless mayor. New York had one mayor, in my view, that actually stood out. Two that stood out. Of course, Rudy Giuliani was one because Rudy Giuliani did what he said he was going to do. And he did so above the complaints of Democrats. He said he was going to bring safety back to New York, and he had a plan. What was his plan? He said, we are going to stop the low-level criminals first. In other words, these guys with the squeegees that are harassing everybody, the people that don't pay their fare in the subways, we're going to apprehend these people. Because when you stop low-level crime, you stop the high-level crime. And there were people that didn't get that. And, of course, then there was profiling. Now, we can argue whether profiling is constitutional or not, but we cannot argue this. Profiling was effective as a law enforcement tool. Because guess what? Criminals can be profiled. Now, you catch up innocent people when you're profiling, and, of course, That was the issue concerning their constitutional rights. Because we do have a constitution in this country that says you're not supposed to be subject to search without any any charges being leveled against you or without any provocation from the government. You minding your business, you are not supposed to be harassed, stopped by law enforcement. Not in this country. And so I understand the arguments about the stop and frisk program that had so many people upset that went to court. But we cannot argue that it wasn't effective because it was effective. And hence, there's a dilemma. How do you do this without, quote unquote, profiling? I'd love to hear the take of some of you in law enforcement about that, by the way. I mentioned the Met. Here's a story, and then we'll go to a break. The acclaimed soprano, Anna Netrebko, I can't pronounce her last name, Netrebko, that's it, Netrebko. Look, I'm not the biggest opera fan in the world. I like some of it, but whatever. Acclaimed soprano, Anna Netrebko, has withdrawn from future engagements with the Metropolitan Opera rather rather than forswear her support for Russian President Vladimir Putin Kami Thug. 
And this is a decision that will reportedly cost the opera company one of its most vaunted singers in box office draws. It's a great artistic loss. That's what the Met general manager, Peter Gleb, said in a statement Thursday. She's among the greatest singers in Met history. But with Putin killing innocent victims in Ukraine, there was no way forward. Now, I was a little bit troubled by this. I understand so many people are, uh, you know, look, we, we're not going to do business with, with, with Russian businesses, with sanctions and all the rest of it. But here's an artist, and what you're asking this artist to do is to renounce her own political beliefs, what she has a right to, right or wrong. This woman has a right to her political beliefs, and she could be dead wrong. But you do that or else we cancel you? Well, she's been canceled now. And she apparently is one of the greatest artists in the world of opera. I don't know. I understand that people want to get back and, 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 and hit back at Vladimir Putin, communist thug. This story, by the way, comes to us from BizPack Review today. But do you but do you cancel this woman because she has political views that are different than most of the world's right now? Or do you respect the fact that she's a great artist? and let her perform and do what she was apparently born to do. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222 is how you join us. Today, James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdley, hour number one of three hours on our new Saturday morning a radio extravaganza, and we're coming right back. Bo knows politics. And so much more. A true connection to real New York on 77 WABC. You know, life is funny when you look at it. It sure is. Everybody wants love. But everybody's afraid of love. Not everybody. You know, I'm a true believer that if you get anything out of life, Bobby Womack, you got to put up with the tools and strength. That's the way I feel about you. You're pushing my love a little bit too far. I don't think you know. I don't think you know how blessed you are. That is, uh, wow, an oldie that I haven't heard in ages. You know, Bobby Womack also does a version of California Dreaming that is just really, really great. And that's one of my favorite songs. I mean, I've heard this song done by so many people, and it never gets tired, California Dreaming. Hey, guys, if you have a version of California Dreaming, you know, even though not many people dream about California these days, maybe we can hear it later in the show. Also, later, oh, yeah. Later in the show, Princess Die. Oh, princess die, princess die. You know, yesterday, if you were with us, I was expecting a huge, uh, a huge concession from our beloved princess die, because I just knew I was right about this this apparent rift between Mitch McConnell and Rick Scott, 
Rick Scott, of course, releases his own agenda for the Republicans. And and then Diana just took it apart. Princess Di, she's like, you know what? You, you, here's the real inside deal. They're working together. And here's why. And she just, she's amazing. The analysis that you get from Princess Di is totally amazing. You know, Joe Biden's approval rating has now jumped 47% after the State of the Union address. And for those of you that think that this is Big Joe's comeback, don't, don't. This happens every time after a State of the Union. You get a little bounce. Three weeks later, it's all gone. So anybody that thinks that Joe Biden is coming back, that this is some kind of turnaround, this is the beginning of a new ascendancy of Biden, Forget about it. This is just part of the political theater and the political price that comes with the State of the Union. It happens to every president. Joe Biden, little 47% bump. It'll be back down to 43 in a few weeks. And then if he continues the way he's going, back into the 30s. There are so many stories about the Ukraine today. The U.N. is having a special meeting. You talk about a useless organization. The U.N. has become useless, except for what they are doing to undermine the United States of America, and they are doing plenty. If you listen to our On the Border podcast, you'll find out that the U.N. is deeply involved in funding the illegal immigration that is occurring in the United States. But in terms of being a, a world, organ, an organization that can provoke change in the world, no, no, yet. So they're meeting, and there's also an argument going on among observers, including people in the military, whether Vladimir Putin, communist thug, should be designated a war criminal because he has allegedly used hyperbaric and cluster bombs. And, of course, yesterday we pointed out that Vladimir Putin, or some New Yorkers call him Putin, Vladimir Putin just says that he has not bombed, he's not bombing the Ukraine, which is laughable. I don't know whether he will ever be brought up on charges of war crimes. And there's one reason, oil. Oil. All comes down to money. Oil. Meanwhile, the embattled president of the Ukraine, the heroic president of the Ukraine, President Zelensky, is slamming NATO as being weak and underconfident because they refuse to establish a no-fly zone over Ukraine as his country fights in the worst invasion, he says, since World War II, and he's absolutely right. NATO is weak. NATO is ineffective. NATO is standing on their hind legs saying, okay, if he, if he comes in any NATO country, we're ready to fight. We're ready to fight. Where is Europe? This is a direct threat. This invasion is a direct threat to Europe, the entire continent of Europe. Russia can threaten their energy supply. They have a vested interest in making sure that Putin does not succeed. 
But where is Europe in all of this? How come they have not responded? Why hasn't NATO said, okay, here's a no-fly zone, and we're going to support the Ukrainians? As I mentioned a few minutes ago, the U.N. Security Council is holding an urgent meeting. This after the so- the Soviets, I started to quote him, because that's what he's trying to do, restore the Soviet Union. After Russia took over the nuclear power plant. And did you see that people in the power plant over loudspeakers were demanding that the Russian troops stop firing because they were endangering the plant as they were trying to take it over? And they could have caused a catastrophe. Chernobyl wasn't enough. By the way, Russia is looking now at taking over a second nuclear plant in the Ukraine. There was a ceasefire today in two Ukrainian areas to allow for evacuations. And then Russia is attacking the media. Now, some people in this country look at that and say, wow, I wish we could do that here. Russia has decided that if there are broadcast units that are reporting what they consider to be fake news, which is actually real news about the war, and they don't like it, they can uh, send those reporters to prison. No First Amendment there. The Russian parliament, as it was, held, it was a unanimous vote to approve a law criminalizing the intentional spreading of what Russia, what Russia, the state, deems to be fake news reports. The law is to take place today. That is when it takes effect, today. And American and Western news outlets have responded to this. And by the way, Putin, as he's called by some New Yorkers, Putin, Putin has also cracked down on Facebook and shut Facebook off. Many, many major news organizations say they're going to limit activity in Russia now. As soon as Vladimir Putin signed the measure into law criminalizing news coverage that accurately portrays the country's bloody incursion into Ukraine as an invasion. He does not want it reported that the invasion is an invasion. It's amazing how many parallels you can draw to this guy's behavior and what liberals do. If we're having an invasion, we can't call it an invasion because people would get the wrong idea. So let's not call it an invasion. If you call it an invasion, we're going to throw you in jail. Yeah. Yeah. WABC Talk Radio 77. This is part of our Saturday morning a radio excursion, a radio extravaganza, now three hours. We start at 7 every Saturday, and we'll go to 10 o'clock. And you are more than welcome. We have some callers that we can't wait to speak to, and we'll be taking some of your phone calls. And we have a lot more news to go. Also, later in the show, Princess Di will make another appearance. 
And today I refuse to ask her to say that I'm right about anything because the last time I did that yesterday, it did not work out so well. Telephone number 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley, coming back right after this. Now, here's the soul of excellence. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley, on 77 WABC. Herbie Hancock, and this is early Herbie Hancock, brings us back. I have a picture somewhere when I was a young, young type with a very young Herbie Hancock at a at a at um, visiting radio station. Seventy-seven WABC Talk Radio, seventy-seven WABC Music Radio. WABC lives tonight and lives over the weekend. Cousin Brucey, of course, here with you. You know, Elon Musk. I don't know what you guys think of guys and gals and women and gentlemen and ladies. Think of Elon Musk. I My opinion of Elon Musk has changed over the years. When, when I first became aware of Elon Musk, it was before when Tesla was being uh, formed. And I just remember thinking that, that Tesla and these electric cars were a drain on the public treasury because there was all sorts of different incentives put up. And I just said, you know, this is a whole new generation of welfare recipients that are just taking part in big government welfare. And I wasn't crazy about Elon Musk. I wasn't crazy about the idea of Tesla or, uh, or this, or some of these, the government spending that was occurring to usher in a new era of vehicles. I have had the experience of riding in a Tesla since then. About two years ago, one of my friends who owns a Tesla took me out in a ride, and, and it blew my mind. The, In fact, there are so many things about the Tesla that blew my mind. I don't have one, but, for instance, we, we went to visit his mom, and we parked a little bit far away. So when we came out of the building, he says to me, help, just stay here. And he, his from his phone, he contacted his vehicle. The car starts, and the car pulls right up to where we are. I'm like, whoa, this is amazing. And then some of the other technologies that it has, you know, there are certain, I don't know whether this one is fully implemented or not. Maybe one of you Tesla drivers can tell us whether it, it is that you can have the car drop you off. Let's say you're going to a restaurant in the city and it's crowded and there are no criminals around. And so you feel nice and safe and secure. You can have the the car drop you off in front of the restaurant and then the car will go find a parking space. And the car is intelligent enough to know what the regulations for parking are in the particular area that you're in and so the car will park itself legally and then and lock itself up. You're done with your meal. You call, the, you call your car and it comes to you. I mean, this stuff is pretty amazing to me. This is, and we, we also did the, the driverless driving where you don't have to drive. And this thing was on the highway and it was changing lanes by itself. And I'm like, wow, this is impressive. I don't know whether I would trust the car to do that all the time, but it was pretty impressive. 
And so my views of, of with SpaceX and what he's done with the success of SpaceX, sending rockets up and then being able to reuse the rockets, recycling rockets, is quite impressive. The satellite Starlink system that he set up is now being proven useful. Elon Musk says that Starlink is not going to block Russian state media in Ukraine. He says, sorry to be a free speech absolutist. When a commentator was arguing that Russia state media was propaganda, Elon Musk's response was, all news sources are partially propaganda. Interesting. So Elon Musk is taking the position that he's not going to cancel anybody. Even the Russians, he's not going to cancel them. And he understands that what they're doing is propaganda, but he says that, you know, most most news is propaganda to some degree or another. So interesting, if you, what are your thoughts about Elon Musk? And I'm not. I don't care about his personal life. I, personal life. I know he was at one point dating uh, uh, the the woman that uh, Johnny Depp had so many problems with. Um, and I don't even know her name. Whatever her name is, Amber. Uh, something. Something. Anyway, um, I don't care about his personal life. But I'm just curious as to what you think of Elon Musk as an innovator, and as now apparently a defender of free speech, uncancelled free speech. Let's go to Joe in Long Island. Joe has been waiting here. He wants to weigh in on the uh, Russian singer that the Met has canceled because she won't denounce Vladimir Putin. Welcome, Joe, WABC. How are you? Good. Thanks, Bo. How are you? Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I just want to make the point. Maybe this woman has family back in the Soviet Union. She can't say anything because they'll take it out on her family. And that's a very valid point. And people don't often, like these people I'm sure at the Met, don't even think about that. Maybe she can't denounce Putin because it would affect members of her family. Do you think that she should have been canceled? Do you think that they should have dismissed her from performing? No, they shouldn't have canceled her. She should have been allowed to go on and sing. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate that. WABC Talk Radio 77, Clarence in Manhattan. Welcome, WABC, James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley. What's on your mind this early morning? Hey, with... Mr. Snurley. Hey, How want, are you? I uh, want to congratulate you on getting your extra hour. Um, I also wanted to say that on Elon Musk, he's undoubtedly an um, innovator. The best thing since Columbus crossed the ocean blue in 1492 are those reusable rockets. Uh, my primary thing was on the question of canceling. Uh once again, it seems like we've gone back to this scarlet letter process uh, and the Salem witch hunt. I mean, for some reason, we constantly need to be reminded that the tyranny of the majority is a very, very dangerous thing. Elon Musk is correct in his assertion that uh, actually I would say he's incorrect because most uh, media is propaganda. The question is, if you don't have anything to balance it all, you can't really get to the fair and balance. And that's really, really important. And freedom is so, so important, which makes America so different 
from the rest of the world where we can speak our mind, even though we might not agree. Clarence, well stated. Thank you so much. I appreciate the call very much. And, and, and thank you, by the way, for um, acknowledging, yes, we have now three hours every Saturday. Spread the word. Now, um, as to your points about America's free speech, it used to be that we had free speech in America, not so much anymore. Free speech is under attack here. And I read an article that should frighten everybody, and I'm, de- I'm, I'm debating what to do about it. And I think that maybe the best thing I can do about it is begin another podcast series. Um, I'm doing a bunch of podcast series. Let's talk, we'll talk about those later. But I read an article the other day that, uh, Amer- that there is a group of doctors that now want to cancel other doctors that, quote-unquote, have promoted unproven, unproven treatments for COVID. And among the unproven uh, treatments for COVID, they list ivermectin and they list hydroxychloroquine. Now, I'm not a doctor, and I, but, but I had an amazing doctor, one of the most amazing doctors I've ever experienced in my life when I had COVID. And by the way, my COVID case was severe. I could have easily slipped out of this life with COVID. And I think on two occasions, I was just about ready to do that. But I don't want to get into all of that. I want to tell you that I got treated with hydroxychloroquine because my doctor was off the grid. Now, I'm not debating whether any medicine And by the way, I was also treated with ivermectin, but the ivermectin for me didn't work. It made me incredibly nauseous. And so my doctor immediately took me off of it. And she told me and my caretakers, she worked with, 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 she was amazing. I mean, this doctor spent hours every day just dealing with my case. And she was one of the quote-unquote front-line doctors that have come under attack. And what she said to me was, if we were going to do hydroxychloroquine, usually we would have, we would have, we would have um, instituted that regime earlier. But since you are not responding well to the ivermectin, and by the way, this was not just ivermectin. I was on a lot of supplements. I was on a a major vitamin and supplement um, regime during all of this. And the monitoring was constant. I was dealing with, um, uh, I had to have oxygen uh, support, and I also had to have a nebulizer, obviously. I mean, there was a point where I couldn't walk without a few steps without being completely out of breath. This COVID thing was really, really ugly. Right, and I don't want to get into too much detail. So what I'm thinking about doing, and I have heard from since since then, I've heard from so many other people that had suffered from COVID, and many of them have had quote unquote unconventional treatments. That now this group of doctors, they want people barred from practicing medicine because they prescribed different remedies for COVID that the that weren't establishment sanctioned. And what I am thinking about doing is just inviting people to tell us their COVID stories. You know, 
Here's what happened to me with COVID. And some of them may have gone through the conventional uh, manners of dealing with COVID, but some of them, like myself, went through unconventional. And the unconventional worked for me. As soon as the hydrochloroquine was introduced for me, I meet the next day I was back on my feet feeling better immediately. So I don't want to hear from a bunch of establishment doctors of what doesn't work because for me, I know what worked for me and I'm not saying anybody else. I'm not a doctor. I'm not saying that anybody else should do it. I'm saying I felt comfortable with my doctor's advice and I went with my doctor's advice and this is what happened for me. I'm not saying that this should extrapolate to anybody else. But that's why I want to hear from other people on COVID. What happened to you during COVID? And what did you, how did you, if you, especially if you were, were, were very, very sick, how did you recover? So I'm thinking that maybe it's time to do a podcast series about people's COVID experiences. And let's find out. I do know this, that there were thousands of people, millions worldwide, who are not going to be able to tell us their COVID stories because they are dead. And I wonder if some of those people might have been saved under other circumstances, if there were other treatment options available for them. I don't know. And I'm not trying to, um, how shall we say, to go into Cookville with this. I am a, look, I'm not one of these kooks that's going to run around with these tin foil hat theories and and try to go completely off the grid and and I know better than all the doctors and I know this. I'm just telling you what my individual experience was and that's that. But I do think that we need an honest an honest approach to science. And I think in this disease what we have is a dishonest approach to science because it became political. The moment that Donald Trump started talking about hydroxychloroquine, the establishment wanted to prove him wrong. There was a phony report that was issued that said it was useless, and then other medical professionals peer-reviewed it and said this this whole report was fabricated, is built on false evidence, and it's not true, and they pointed to the fact that it worked. So now people are torn. They either believe one report or they believe the other. Or then you have two sides of reporting in the medical community. What we need in this country is honest, non-political reporting on science and on disease. And by the way, one of the things that has never been established, never, 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 is how this disease came to spread all around the world, the origins of it. I cited a news story the other day that should be frightening to most people. It was in the Daily Mail, and if we have to, to, to re-put it out there, we will, that there was a Moderna genetic patented segment that was found inside COVID by some scientists that was patented three years before COVID ever spread. And according to, this is not James, a.k.a. Snurdly, this is not James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, this is what was reported in the Daily Mail. You can go read it for yourself. And what these scientists said was that there was a 1 in 300 trillion chance, 1 in 300 trillion, that this particular genetic material 
could have occurred naturally inside the COVID that they were looking at. Now, again, I do not want to go to Cookville with this. I'm not out with all these conspiracy theories. I'm not down with that stuff. I don't even want to go down that road. But I do think that the American people deserve to have accurate information about medicine and about science and ought to have the freedom to, believe it or not, try things that they think and their doctors think would be beneficial for them. I think Ron DeSantis might have signed a bill like that into, um, in, into law. Or there is one in Florida that gives people the freedom, the freedom, imagine that, to make their own medical choices. And there is a move afoot, and it is a very dangerous move in the medical community with other doctors deciding who should be canceled and who shouldn't. And just like in every other aspect of life, not all doctors agree on treatments or anything else. And to start the idea that some people should be canceled out of medicine, it is extremely dangerous. Extremely dangerous. So anyway, James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdly, do we take a break here, or have I blown past it? Okay. Let's take some more telephone calls, and we have one coming in right now that I want to take from Nancy in Madison, New Jersey. Nancy, welcome. WABC Talk Radio 77. Good morning. Thank you very much for having such a great show. I was exposed to this SARS 2.0. I refused. I never took the injection. I My doctor gave me the ivermectin, a whole 12 pennies, 12 cents, and I had no... Um, I had no reaction whatsoever, but we're thinking that because of my Lyme, I take a lot of antivirals and supplements also, and between the quercetin and the lysine, that it may have been an extra layer of protection. I've long gone the homeopathic um, route because of the Lyme, and also no insurance covers any uh, expenses for tick-borne diseases. So um, everything is out of pocket, and it's a disaster financially, but it, I think it's basically saved my life. Nancy, thank you. That's your story, and that is an amazing story. And I thank you for it. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurdly. We're coming back right after this. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. She's here, Mr. Johnson. Granny, they're expecting you. You're a little late, so come right this way. I haven't heard this in about, I don't know, like, I'm showing my age if I tell you how long. The Ohio Players. Wow. The Ohio Players. Like, yeah, you know, fire. Um, What were the, I mean, they had so many hits. The Ohio Players. Bring us back on WABC Talk Radio 77. That's Funky Worm. Uh, there is a school superintendent who defied uh, the governor of Florida, DeSantis' mask ban, and now that school superintendent has been fired. Shown the door, 
He says that his termination is a partisan attack. Carly Simon, the Akalucha County School Board Superintendent who openly defied Governor Ron DeSantis on, on mask mandates, is now out of a job. In a 3-2 decision, the school board voted Tuesday night to terminate Simon's contract. That's according to the AP. The pivotal vote was cast by Mildred Russell, whom DeSantis appointed in August after another school board member who lived outside the district was removed. Simon is yappy. The unprecedented partisan attack on what should be nonpartisan officials is compromising the education of county children, Simon claimed in a release prior to the vote. The story comes to us from AmericanWireNews.com, AmericanWireNews.com. And I love this. The school board, thanks to a Ron DeSantis appointee, has now fired this defiant school board superintendent. I love it. It's about time we see stories like this. And by the way, the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, is also not apologizing, not backing down from asking these kids. You may have seen the the footage of this. The media tried to take a clip from it to show DeSantis was trying to bully kids. He walks behind to the podium, and there are all these kids standing behind him masked up. And he says, why are you wearing these masks? If you want to, take off these masks. You don't need them. This is all part of this theater, and we don't need it. Now, here's what you didn't see. No one else in the entire audience was wearing masks, according to DeSantis. He talked about this on on Tucker. None of the adults were wearing masks, and it seemed to me that someone told those kids they had to do it. So I just wanted to make it very clear. They do not need to be doing it. They didn't need to wear their masks, and he's not backing down. This is one of the things that is making Ron DeSantis the most popular governor in the United States. And there's no question that he is. And liberals are just beside themselves because he's not backing down, because he's not apologies. Now, I got a text that is important. The big story on the vaccine it's what the FDA is hiding, asking the federal judge for 75 years of non-disclosures on vaccine side effects. Whoa. I'm going to do this podcast series. We are going to do this podcast series. My COVID stories. And I'm going to ask those of you that had COVID that want to join us, we'll figure out a way to make this happen to tell your stories about what happened to you with COVID. As I'm telling you, and I was vaccinated, by the way. Thanks, John, for sending me that. I was vaccinated, so everybody knows. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I'm not some kook nut telling you what to do or what not to do. All I'm telling you, thank God I had the doctor I did that gave me an unconventional treatment because my belief And I stand before you unashamed to say this, my doctor saved my life. 
I was a wreck and I was in bad shape. And I so appreciate my doctor. And I want to hear your stories too. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley, we have our three-hour radio extravaganza. Saturday morning underway, our duo, our two coming right up. Look forward to your calls and look forward to delving through more news stories of the day. Don't go away. A lot more to come. Now, here's the soul of excellence, James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. And we are here. This is our number two, James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, with you. That's right, our new Saturday hours, we are up early with you. We're going to share that first cup of coffee with you. I was having mine. Uh, during our first hour at 7 o'clock, we're here from 7 to 10 every Saturday. Larry Kudlow comes after us, and by all means. You know, Larry Kudlow is one of the most brilliant economists in America, and so insightful. I remember listening to Larry Kudlow in awe at parts of my younger career, even before he moved into the public sector when he was still in the private sector. He's just an amazing mind. And so you want to stick around and, and listen to Mr. Kudlow uh, right after this program. And we have great programming here on WABC all week, all weekend long. Music radio, of course. Music radio, WABC tonight and tomorrow night. You get a chance to listen to Cousin Brucey, my man, Cousin Brucey. I grew up listening to Cousin Brucey. You know, so here we are, and we have other news to discuss. We also have a lot of phone calls to go through. We're going to do both. There is a law in Tennessee that has now come up. And by the way, in the last hour, Princess of Policy, Diana Mee, joins me. And I'm not going to grovel. She was right yesterday, and uh, I'm not going to get past that. A new law has been passed in Tennessee that will hold drunk drivers financially responsible for the children left behind in the wake of a fatal accident. What does that mean? That means if you're a drunk driver and you kill somebody, a parent, and and their kids that are left behind, you're now responsible for paying child support for those kids. It's called Bentley's Law. Not after the car Bentley, but after a, a person, the eldest of a couple's two surviving children, the couple killed in a in a car accident where a drunk driver killed her son, the woman's son and, and daughter-in-law. And she went on a tear about it, and this is how this law came into existence. Now, I think this is a good thing, but I wonder, is this just going to spread to other cases? What about people that are that are murdered? And the murderers get out of jail after a while, and they've left children. Is there going to be restitution there or other areas of crime? Interesting. You know, one of the squad members, maybe you heard this, the Supreme Court has reinstated the death penalty for the Boston bomber, the Boston Marathon bomber. And one of the members of the squad, Ayanna Presley, is now bashing the Supreme Court She says, Ms. Presley, member of the squad, that state-sanctioned murder, that's what she's calling this, state-sanctioned murder is not justice, no matter how heinous the crime. 
Today we're also going to do, look, I'm not a big sports guy, but there were two stories that I couldn't help but see. And, and, and actually I'm interested in them. One concerns the WNBA. Now I was, when the WNBA first came into existence, I was doing the weekend show here. I was working with Russ during the week, and I was doing a weekend show on WABC, James and Joel on Saturdays, and then James Golden on Sunday nights. And so we were around when the WNBA first came into existence, and the New York Liberty, we made a big deal about the fact that we finally had a women's basketball team in New York and the New York Liberty. Well, there's a story today about the travel of the New York Liberty. Now, that may not sound like something that should be even worthy of a news story. But to me it is, because the league is going to find the team, the New York Liberty, because they've been chartering flights for their players. And this is an expense that the league does not want to bear, because chartered flights are expensive. Now, I guarantee you that the New York Knicks, the New York, the Nets, the Lakers, and any other team. I don't even watch basketball anymore. I just got so sick and tired of some of the thuggery that was taking place in the NBA a long time ago. In fact, I used to call it. I've since stopped because I realized that it was maybe a little bit of an overreach. I stopped calling it the NBA. I started calling it the the NTA, the National Thug Association. But um, the NBA, I guarantee you, those players are not being asked to fit their bodies into coach seats on the airlines. And yet, women players in the NBA, in the in the WNBA are being forced to fly commercially. And some of these women are like six foot eight. We're not talking about women that are like five foot two. Although some of them, I'm not, no, 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 I'm not. But some of these women are very, very tall. And I don't know about you, but being a tall person myself, I can tell you that coach seats are not only uncomfortable, they squeeze you in like sardines now. You don't even have room on some of these flights to open up your laptop because the tray is so close to you and then the back seat there, and then Lord help you if the person in front of you decides they want to recline their seat. It's all on your knees. It's uncomfortable. If you're doing a long flight, it is it is a horrific experience to fly commercially if you're a tall person. And I've often wondered, this is where, where sometimes being conservative, I, I just wonder whether... Whether Look, airlines used to be regulated, and they were part of the big deregulation when Ronald Reagan took over. And, and I support deregulation. I think most businesses don't need the government looking over their shoulders in order to run their businesses, right? That's part of being a conservative. We like American businesses. We like businesses to be able to conduct business without government interference. But I have often wondered whether the airlines could use a little bit more regulation because of the way they treat their customers. And the seating arrangement in most airlines is simply horrid for anybody that's over five foot five. 
or five foot six. Or if you happen to be a little bit overweight, and I know many of you know what this is like, you get stuck in that seat between two really big people. Or you're on the seat on the end, and then some big person sits in the middle, and their, how shall we say, body is partially on yours for the entire trip. It is, it's, un, it's terrible. So the idea that the WNBA is demanding that female basketball players fly commercially, there's, there were only, a, a, even if you upgrade, there were only a, a selected amount of first-class seats. Most of the time, in, in most variations of airplanes, you're looking at maybe 12 at max, first-class seats. And now airlines like Delta, they have a, a third section. It's not just first class. They have another plus section, comfort they call it, where they give you just a teeny bit more leg room. But it's still not like first class, and you're still sitting in the 3-3 three, three, three configuration. And then you're in coach, and coach is a horror story. And the airlines pack them in like this because... That's what they can do. And if you want to get somewhere, you have to fly. And if you can't afford to be in comfort or in first class because the price of airline tickets is prohibitive, you are stuck in a miserable experience. So I just wonder, should the WNBA reconsider And yes, it may be expensive, but aren't your players worth it? These are the people that you wouldn't have a league if not for these players. Aren't the players worth it? WABC Talk Radio 77, James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley. Coming back, we've got so many calls. We're going to get to some of your calls right after this and... There are so many other stories to go through. We'll get to all of them. Stick around. This is our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. WABC Talk Radio 77. Don't go away. Welcome to the golden age of radio. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, is on 77 WABC. Little Saturday morning groove for you. Paul and Oates to bring us back. You know this song, Sarah. Baby hair, smile. With a woman's eyes, I can feel you watching in the night. All alone with me, I were waiting for the sunlight. What an amazing voice. Warm me, and when I feel I can't go on, you come and hold me. It's you and who and me forever. Sarah. Yeah, that'll put a smile on your face in the morning, Saturday morning, here with James Golden on WABC Talk Radio 77. Let us head back to the telephones. Right now, John in Thorwood, Westchester. John, welcome. WABC, how are you? Hi, Bo. Very good. Um, great to hear your voice. 
And before I get into my comment, I'd like to say I was a Rush Limbaugh listener since 1992. And when he was when he was going through his cancer, he knew he was going to pass. I was hoping you would get a show. And when I found out you were on the radio, I was so happy. Thank you. I appreciate that. And, you know, um, let me just say this, too. I am happy to be back home. WABC was where I met Rush. WABC was where, for many years, you know, Rush broadcast from WABC. Uh, we were at Two Pin Plaza for many years. And um, during that time, I was on the air on the weekends, as I mentioned earlier. And it was a seven-day week and for seven years. And I enjoyed every minute of it. Um, and now, after Rush has, has, has gone, and I'm still you know, trying to come to grips with that, I have such gratitude for being back here on WABC. This WABC is my radio home. This is the place that I grew up. I grew up listening to WABC. At, when WABC was a music station, I worked at WABC as the music director, the very last music director, and the very first talk producer. Um, and then to be able to have my career accelerate when I worked with, and I worked with so many so many WABC talents, so many of the great people that came in, in both music and in talk, like Dan Ingram and, and Ron Lundy and Sturgis Griffin and, and all the people that came in during the music years, right? And then I was able to work with all the greats in talk, like Bob Grant and, and so many others, Gil Gross and so many of the others, great broadcasters, all. That came through here. And so now WABC is under a new owner, new management. And let me tell you something. This station is doing so many exciting things. And the audience is responding. And that's all I'll say about that. And we thank you, each and every one of you, for listening. And for me, this is just a blessing to be back here at this place that I love so much. So thank you, John. And I, I know I interrupted your call. What else did you call in to talk about? Oh, that's right. I had COVID. I went into the ER on March 20th of 2020. I got out of rehabilitation because I had been in a coma and uh, the way they treated me was in a coma and I'd been laying in bed for a couple of months. I got out July 3rd of 2020. But I I have been, I want to be on your podcast. I've got more stories about COVID than, than about me and other people, but I'm, I'm a diabetic. I have uh, hypertension, and when I got COVID, I was 68. So I had three strikes. But the doctors, I give so much credit to the doctors because they knew what they were doing. They saved my life. In fact, um, my doctor called it a medical miracle, and and I believe it. But um, there are so many things that were done wrong. It, it's, it's it's just incredible. I mean, I, I'm an anti-vaxxer, and I'll tell you why. I have antibodies. A year after I got out of the hospital for COVID, we uh, the first thing the doctor did when we got back into seeing her was to test us and see if we had antibodies. We had antibodies. That's a year later, and that's far beyond what um, what the vaccine can do. Wow. What what did they treat you with? What were some of the things that they treated you with, John? Hydroxychloroquine was one of them. There were no, there was no vaccine at the time. There was no, you know, um, or a general or any of that. 
So what they did, what actually what happened with me was I was, um, um, what you call it, uh, ventilated twice. Good Lord. And they, they, they ended up traking me and sending me to a little hospital in New Jersey where they wean you off the trach. But I was literally, I, I went in March 20th. I got out of the uh, hospital in New Jersey about May 20th or so. And then it was over at Helen Hayes in Rockland. I was I got out of there July third for rehabilitation. Now you do know, John, that most people that are ventilated, sadly, the statistics are most people that are put on ventilators never come off. You do know that, right? Oh that, yes. So you are a medical miracle. Thank you. You know what we're gonna do? We're gonna find a way to figure this out so that people can I'm I'm you have you have convinced me now we are gonna do a podcast series my COVID stories, because I want to hear from people. I want to hear what you went through with COVID. I want to hear how you were treated. And I want to hear what happened. And this is all in response to this story where they are trying to close doctors down, close doctors down, where some doctors now want to shut up other doctors because they don't agree with their method of treatment. And that, to me, is just unconscionable. Let us go to Bergen County, New Jersey. Thank you, John, to Walker in Bergen County. How are you this morning? Welcome. WABC Talk Radio 77. You're on with James Golden. Uh, James, good morning. I just want to go back to you. We're talking about the electric cars, and uh, 77 Radio has been big on it. Uh, Katsimatidis and uh, Dr. Mikolos. And the post office is buying 160,000 brand-new vehicles to be delivered in beginning in 2023. Only 5,000 will be electric. The Tesla has a cooling system. You know, they tell you, oh, all you got to do is put in windshield washer fluid. Nope, it's got a radiator. The other one is uh, the trucks. GM, Ford, and Chrysler are making big trucks that are electric. The other thing is you can't buy a new car. Like if your car goes out tomorrow, you can buy a Tesla, you can buy any electric vehicle or hybrid, but you can't buy a GM, Ford, or Chrysler because of the microchip shortage. What say you? Here's what I say. I say I welcome all comers. Here's what a lot of people don't understand, though. You know, it's funny. I was in a supermarket, and I don't know how I got into a conversation with the young lady that was uh, the cashier, but it turned out she was an environmentalist, and I was like, well, this would be interesting. And um, actually, it wasn't in the supermarket. She was out collecting the carts. And somehow or another, electric cars came up. And I asked the, one, the young girl if she knew how these electric cars were being powered. Well, electricity, yes, but where does the electricity come from? And the electricity comes from fossil fuels. And so the more electric cars there are, the more we're going to need fossil fuels. If you heard the top of the hour news here at WABC, you heard Jen Psaki, Peppermint Patty, saying that we need renewable, renewable, and we fossil fuels. Without fossil fuels, the American economy would collapse. And I don't understand this idiocy that runs from the White House on down without an acknowledgement that fossil fuel, what they call fossil fuel, what we call fossil fuel, is what runs the economic engine of the world. And we are not going to switch. Now, look, I'm not saying that I don't support solar. I like solar energy. I mean, it fries the birds. And windmills chop the birds and other life up. I mean, okay, fine, if you want to deal with chopped up birds, fried birds then okay, renewable energy is your friend. 
but fossil fuels, and we are developing more and more ways to deliver fossil fuels cleanly, even coal, right? But fossil fuels is what supports the underlying support for all of the energy in the world. And there is a myth, a myth that we are running out. Right now, there is over a 300-year supply of gas and oil in the world. And there are also some thoughts among some scientists that that is renewable, that the more oil we take out of the ground, eventually other oil will come in its place, not proven theory. But without fossil fuels, the world would collapse. And even for your high-tech electric cars, at the end of the day, they rely on fossil fuels. So we need, this earth needs fossil fuels to keep running unless we want to go back into the dark ages. Victor, East Brunswick, New Jersey. Welcome, WABC Talk Radio 77. How are you, Victor? I'm fine, sir. Uh, thank you uh, for your extended program and Mr. Cassini for allowing this. Now you've got me getting up on Saturday an hour extra early. <laughs> I want to mention to you and bring to your attention, if I'm not mistaken, you were mentioning problems at NYU. Well, I believe that Bernadine Dawn of the Weather Underground is quote-unquote teaching a professor at NYU. You may want to look into that. That is worth looking into. Do you know that Bernadine Dorn, the former Weather Underground, was the guardian for the now district attorney in Los Angeles that the voters are doing their best to try to get rid of, this D.A. Gasson out there, who is another one of these, like Alvin Bragg, who believes that criminals should be free to roam the streets because, oh, poor criminals, they had such a touch lot, tough life, and oh, poor criminals, they don't deserve to stay in jail. And oh, poor criminals, we mass incarcerate the poor criminals. And oh, poor criminals, they don't deserve to be part of the carceral system. And so we should let the criminals out to prey on people. And this whole way of thinking, this stems from the radicalism that you talked about with Bernadine Dorn, these people from the Weather Underground, And this is what is now seeped into New York City, not just seeped in. But this bail reform law in New York City is a direct result of progressives being put in positions of power. And New Yorkers, we are all paying the price for it. We are paying the price when you see this this alleged human being that smears his own waste product into the face of a woman waiting for a subway, and he's released from jail immediately and laughs about it, even though he has multiple arrests. We are seeing this in the repeat criminals, that in almost every news story of a violent attack, you can look and see that these criminals have a long and healthy rap sheet, and they should not be out of jail in the first place, but they are, and they're on the streets of New York. New York has to come back. And in order for New York to come back to its full potential, we need to put these criminals in jail. I don't want to hear any crap about their race. I don't want to hear any crap about their upbringing. I don't want to hear any crap about how we should feel sorry for them. They're people, too. They are criminals. Yeah, they're people, too. But these are the people that belong in jail. 
They don't belong walking the streets with civilized human beings because they are uncivilized, because they are predators. Oh, predators, that word has racial overtones. Good, let me use it again. They're super predators. They prey on people. They are predators. And they do not belong walking the streets with the civilized people of New York or New Jersey or Pennsylvania or Connecticut or Baltimore or Detroit or Atlanta or Los Angeles, San Francisco and Seattle or Portland or any of the other blue cities where Democrats have decided to unleash the criminal element on American citizens. And the only way to stop this is to go to the source. And we have a chance to do that in November. Every one of you, with the sound of my voice, should go to the polls and in a fury turn these radical Democrats and progressives out of office. Everything they touch, they ruin. And they are responsible for murder, mayhem, rape. They are responsible because what they have enacted into law has allowed the criminal element to rise and the criminal element to run major cities of the United States. And this has to be stopped, and it should be stopped now, this year. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdy, back with you after this. Bo knows politics and so much more. A true connection to real New York on 77 WABC. Taylor Dane brings us back on WABC Talk Radio 77. It is our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Baby, that's Taylor Dane. Listen, Mike Pence is back in the news. Former Vice President Mike Pence uh, yesterday rebuked members of uh, the Republican Party who have who have praised of uh, uh, Russian President Vladimir uh, Kami Thug Putin. Putin. Uh, and who do you think that includes? Who 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 would he be saying? Uh, Vice President Pence, former Vice President Pence, says there's no room in this party for apologists for Putin. There's only room for champions of freedom. Hmm. There are a lot of people that are saying that that is an attack on Donald Trump. Interesting. And former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who earlier this year also referred to Putin as a talented statement statesman with lots of gifts. Well, what they were referring to is that Putin has outsmarted Joe Biden. And if you can't be honest and well, what do you think? I don't praise Putin. I think Putin's a commie thug 
who has always wanted, you know, Rush used to say all the time that a communist is a communist. It's kind of like, I remember one of my favorite Rush monologues was, a tiger is a tiger. This is after, if you remember uh, many years ago, there was an incident where one of these, I, I forgot the guy's name, you know him, the, the circus guys, the two guys that used to perform with tigers in the circus. And remember when the tiger attacked one of them and pretty much chewed him up pretty bad? Rush did a monologue after that, and what the monologue was was a tiger is a tiger. And we expect that a tiger is not at some point going to display his natural instincts to be a tiger because he's tamed, but a tiger is a tiger. I'm paraphrasing. And so by the same token, a commie is a commie, is a commie, is a commie thug. Vladimir Putin has always been a commie thug. He was a commie thug when he was with the KGB. If you look at the way that Vladimir Putin has chosen to remain in power, he is a virtual dictator in Russia. Russia pretends to be a democracy, but they are not. They are not a democracy. You've got Vladimir Putin, communist thug, who has been running that country now for decades. And he manages to stay in power. Like all good dictators, he will not relinquish power. And now you see his thuggery on full display. The world is seeing his thuggery. And what does Vladimir Putin want? Putin wants the Soviet Union back together. Tony, New Jersey, welcome. WABC Talk Radio 77. Tony, how are you today? Hi, Bo. Good morning. Um, I wanted to talk about the Ukraine and Russia, what's going on right now, and how years ago they were talking about how nuclear uh, weapons were going to be uh, a deterrent to war. And now we see that they're not able to be a deterrent to war. The only deterrent to war is true peace. And it looks like... Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm sorry. Repeat that for me now. The only deterrent to war is what? peace there is no weapons that can bring us uh, can stop war it's only going to be when humanity is able to bring true peace wait and a minute hold, hold on a minute tony i want to i want to push back on you with all due respect right i want to push back on that position a little bit you say that the only thing that will stop war is peace true peace correct yes how do you arrive at true peace? You arrive at true peace through war. When one side is defeated, right? We, we had peace after World War II because of war. Adolf Hitler was a madman. He was a madman that then coalesced with other madmen, Benito Mussolini, the, the, the emperor of Japan, to wage war on the world. That war was fought over 70 different theaters in the world. We still don't have an accurate accounting of the death that occurred in World War II because of these mad men desiring more power or, in some cases, run by racial animus or, or animus that we don't understand, right? And so they initiated war on innocent people of the world. And thank God... Thank God we had people like Winston Churchill 
who was a sharp contrast to the appeaser who wanted peace in our time, peace in our time, peace in our time when there was no peace. And what happened was Churchill held on until the United States could finally, after Japan attacked us, get in the war. And it was through war that we achieved peace. Adolf Hitler and the Nazis were defeated. They didn't come to the peace table because they said, okay, we've had enough now, let's all, we'll just keep some territory. No, they were defeated. And that cowardly bastard, Adolf Hitler, was such a coward, he took his own life after bringing death, destruction, and misery to millions of people around the world. And I hope he's rotting in hell today. But it was only through war that we achieved peace. Peace does not happen automatically on earth because men are flawed and despots always seem to rise to power in some cases and then they're not content unless they inflict their misery on other human beings and on other countries and they must be stopped by force. Now, I am not a proponent of violence. I am not standing here cheering saying war is the answer, give war a chance. All we need is to give war a chance. That's not what I'm saying. Killing is an evil thing. War is an evil thing. But on this earth, it is one of the realities of necessity. You cannot stop evil people by talking peace. The only way that evil people are stopped once they commit to war is by defeating them with war. And that is what brings about peace. Now, Tony, I've monopolized. What say you? I love you, James. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. WABC Talk Radio 77. Let's go to Dr. Bob in Long Island. Hi, Dr. Bob. Welcome. WABC James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdly. Yes, hello. Bo Snerdly. Wow, we miss Rush. Miss you, uh with him on that show, and uh, I love your new show and your style. It's terrific, really, and I'm glad you expanded uh, the hours on Saturday. Uh, I I want to uh, uh, enlist my name uh, uh, to your follow-up on the the COVID era. I think it has to be told, and I think the podcasts of people who have had uh, gone through COVID uh, from the earliest days till now have to be told because... Um, I'm part of the medical community. I trained uh, in, in uh, medical school in New York, and uh, thanks to a classmate of mine who uh, came over from China, uh, he fled with his mother from uh, Red China to the States and uh, went to college and medical school with me, and thanks to his uh, dear friendship, he, he and I spoke in February of 2020 about what was coming. He, we spoke uh, uh, about uh, the possibility that this thing was uh, brewing in uh, China, and he keeps up with the literature. And thanks to his knowledge about uh, uh, the, the treatment with hydroxychloroquine and ZPAC, I had some, uh, I, when I heard about it from him, I, I had a premonition and got some from the pharmacy in, the, in my local area. And uh, lo and behold, uh, the third week in March, I developed uh, symptoms, and that was the early uh, COVID. Uh, there was uh, no when uh, when you develop uh, flu symptoms, you went to the hospital and got swabbed, and which which is what I did when I got the symptoms, and uh, high fever, chills, 
severe muscle pain throughout my body and went to uh, uh, my hospital, uh, primary hospital where I work at St. Francis and Roslyn, a cardiac center, and they sent the swab off to California because that's what they did in the early days. It took six days for the, for the report to come back, and thanks to my having the hydroxychloroquine and Z-Pak and zinc at my house, uh, I nipped the, the uh, disease in the bud, if you will, and the fever disappeared within a matter of hours. Uh, the muscle pain was gone within a matter of, uh, I would say, 20 minutes to 30 minutes. And I texted my, my uh, good, another good friend who's my primary physician in the area and texted him as this miraculous thing changed. And if medicine had been honest in those days, there were therapeutics such as hydroxychloroquine with the Z-Pak that could have been used and could have could have nipped this in the bud for so many other people instead of people being sent home and told to uh, come back only if the symptoms got worse. So I think the tale has to be told because even now, um, the uh, things have come full circle now. Uh, I've been vaccinated, and uh, you know since I recuperated uh, from that initial bout of the primary uh, COVID, and. They're they're coming. They're realizing now in, in medicine, if you will, the establishment that that uh, uh, the vaccine is not preventing disease. It's uh, less the the um, severity of the second strain, and now that Omicron is uh, petering out. Thank God. But uh, uh, they're they're coming around to therapeutics now, which are newly developed, which are expensive as hell. And uh, hmm. it, should, it should have been used in the first wave, the things hmm. that were known. Ivermectin, you know, as you know, is an anti-malarial drug that's, that's used uh, in parts of, uh, of the world. And there are experiments in the world that have been known that, that uh, thanks to uh, hydroxychloroquine use in Africa, uh, the penetrance, the incidence of uh, COVID was very low in Africa. In India... More recently, uh, within the past year and a half, uh, there were provinces of India that that are well known to the medical community throughout the world. And, and who WHO is a ridiculous organization. It, it, the best minds are not are not putting out um, information, unfortunately. Well, Doctor Bob, that is your personal story, and your you say you are a medical you you're part of the medical community. You are a um, doctor. Cardio, a surgeon, cardiothoracic surgeon, and this my friend saved my life thanks to his knowledge uh, about this medicine in March 2020. May Absolutely. we use this phone call as part of our podcast series? Absolutely, and I'll be glad to participate in any way because even now there are st- there are different medical organizations in uh, in the New York area, for instance, that had to follow a routine that was that was brought down by by the people in those organizations, and they look down upon whatever experience was out there with, with these medicines. But I'll be glad to, James. So that's why Thank I you. Call. Please take his number, crew, and let's, let's, let's be in touch with Dr. Bob. We're going to do this series. Folks, you've made up my mind today. I, I threw the thought out there that perhaps we should hear from individuals who have suffered from COVID themselves, not, not third-hand, their stories my COVID stories, and that is what we are going to do. We are going to put a podcast together among the other podcasts that I'm doing, and we're doing some, we are doing some amazing podcasts. Let me just use this moment before we go to a break to do some shameless promotion. We have a podcast series with Todd Benzman. Todd Benzman is with CIS, the Center for Immigration Studies. 
That podcast is called On the Border. And I guarantee you that if Todd worked for one of the mainstream news outlets like the New York Times or the Washington Post, he would probably up be awarded or up for a nomination at least for a Pulitzer Prize for his groundbreaking reporting from the border, not just the border in the United States and Mexico, but the border between Mexico and Central America, Guatemala specifically. He And that you can listen to. We just cut another installment on the border. One podcast series that I am definitely, definitely excited about as well is The Future Is Now. My co-host there is James Eisenberg, who is a 25-year veteran of Silicon Valley. And what we're talking about there is cryptocurrency and blockchain technology, which is important. This is a new world that is developing right before our eyes that many people aren't aware of. There is a new economy emerging. There is also a new way of doing business that will have an impact on the world the same way the Internet did. That is the podcast, The Future Is Now. We also have Science is Golden, and we are talking to an Emmy Award-winning astrophysicist and scientist, Dr. Michael Gillum. That is an infrequent podcast because he's so very busy right now, but we do it when we can. I think we're going to do another one next week. Our first one, we discussed dark matter, and we discussed all kinds of things in astronomy, but we're going to cover all the natural sciences as we go on with that. And we are going to do a podcast series. Thank you for today, My COVID Stories. All of this is Red Apple Media, Red Apple Media podcast. And you can find them, and not only my podcast, but the podcast from almost every other host on ABC. You can find them on the WABC radio site, or you can find them wherever you get your podcast, whether it's Spotify, Apple, whatever, iHeartMedia. These podcasts are being uh, produced, and they're being distributed through every podcast channel there is. So please visit WABCRadio.com. Take a look at what's going on in the podcast world there from Red Apple Media Podcast and wherever you get your podcast. James Golden, WABC Talk Radio 77, back. More of your calls. Remember, next hour, Princess Di joins us. We're coming back. Don't you go away. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo's Nerdly on 77 WABC. WABC Talk Radio 77, New York. Billy Ocean brings us back. Caribbean Queen. She touched by me and painted on jeans. Yes. You want to see a Caribbean Queen? All you got to do is hang out in Cambria Heights, New York. Or head out to Brooklyn. Bed-Stuy and so many other neighborhoods in the beautiful borough of Brooklyn. You will find so many Caribbean queens. And also, you know, other places in this great, great city of ours. A reminder, Diana Me coming up in the next hour. Princess Di joins us. The story that I cited earlier 
and I've been citing all day when we decided to do uh, this, 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 and we, and thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, for your phone calls that made me just commit to doing a new podcast series called My COVID Stories. Now, listen to this. This comes from ABC News. Not to be confused with WABC. We used to be part of the same family, but it's a different thing now. This comes from ABC News. And here's the headline. This story came March 4th. Group of physicians combats misinformation as unproven COVID-19 treatments continue to be prescribed. In July 2020, as the country faced its first summer wave of coronavirus cases, a group of physicians stood stood in front of the steps of the U.S. Supreme Court and held their first self-titled White Coat Summit to tout the unproven benefits of hydroxychloroquine as a COVID-19 treatment. It goes on later on, blah, 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 saying as those doctors were promoting unproven cures like hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin and denouncing proven non-pharmaceutical mitigation measures like mask wearing and lockdowns, Another group of physicians was emerging, no license for disinformation. A group of doctors motivated by the unproven claims came together with a mission to call on state medical boards and other governing bodies to take disciplinary measures against doctors spreading dangerous disinformation. Well, who is really spreading disinformation? We are going to do my COVID stories. Let's hear from the people themselves who suffered from this disease, and then you will be able to make up your own minds as to whether to believe these establishment doctors who want to shut down everybody else and claim that they're doing. This is what the left does now. They call everything that they don't agree with disinformation, and they want to shut it down. And how can I say the left Because this is typical of the left tactics. That's why. And we all know, anybody that was watching this political battle unfold, you saw it. The moment that President Trump said hydroxychloroquine, the left went on a tear to accuse him of of spreading disinformation. It is my contention that Trump hate is what began this split in scientific analysis of the COVID disease. On one hand, the Trump haters were determined to prove him wrong. And on the other hand, were people who would Remember, there was a congresswoman or a state legislator in Michigan who was near death and tried hydroxychloroquine, and it saved her life. That was according to her own testimony. That's what she said. And eventually she came to the White House and met with President Trump. This is back when they were attacking him relentlessly for talking about hydroxychloroquine. And she happened to be a black legislator, which you would think that there were so many people with the stories that how the COVID disease was was disproportionately affecting black communities, you would think that people would be motivated 
to stop anything that could would, would, would harm these communities. But no, this turned into a political battle, and that political battle lives on to this day. I do not want to engage in the politics on it. I want to hear from people directly, and we will do this in a series. We will do this with a series of podcasts, my COVID stories. I want to hear from those of you that had COVID, and, and we'll arrange for you to tell us your stories and how you were treated. Because one thing about that, they cannot call your own experience misinformation. Let's go to George in Rockland County, New York. George, welcome. WABC Talk Radio 77. You're on with James Golden. Good morning, Mr. Golden. Thanks for taking my call. So I'd like to talk about a uh, kind of respond to a question you posed yesterday regarding a rise in oil, cost of oil, and yes. why we're using uh, um, uh, Russian oil. Okay, so my sense is that you really in the beginning of uh, the presidency, the current president, okay, and take a look about, uh, take a look um, and find out the people who gave money to the president. Take a look on uh, president's family, and, and and that's where you find uh, your answer. Why are we doing? Uh, why are we buying from Russia, and why the cost keeps going up? Besides the war. Uh, all those uh, individuals have an interest, just you know, just making money, okay, to have, a, a, you know, to get the oil from Russia, which, by the way, it's only about 10% of the uh, use of uh, oil in this country, uh, but they want to keep it, okay? Uh, you know, it was well established uh, that the Biden family um, does get money from some of our adversaries and uh, but but he's only just part of it a lot of people business people here in this country gave money to the democrats and to the biden campaign and this is their way of getting the money back this mm. is my assertion well your assertion may be proven correct if we do enough research look there is look even nancy pelosi the san francisco treat has said that we should not be importing oil from Russia right now. There is a bipartisan move in Congress, people from both parties demanding that we stop importation of Russian oil. And yet this White House, Joe Biden's White House, refuses. They seem hell-bent on, on not only did they not sanction and put sanctions on the international use of Russian oil, they refuse to stop its importation into America. Something is very odd about that. This does not make political sense. So what could be behind Joe Biden's and this White House going to extreme measures against calls to block Russian oil from coming into the country? What is behind it? And we do need the answers. Now, Joe Biden does answer questions from the press, and it's amazing how the press doesn't complain about that. You know, President Trump used to spend hours with the press, and all they did was shower him with hate. This president doesn't even answer. Doesn't even answer the press's questions 
And all you hear from the press is crickets on that. We have another full hour to go. This is our first in what will be many, we hope, three-hour radio extravaganzas on your Saturday mornings here on WABC Talk Radio 77. We're coming back for our third hour. Princess Di joins us. We're going to take more of your phone calls. Keep it right here on WABC. Back right after this. It's James Golden, a.k.a. Bruce Nerdly, on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. Hour number three here on our extended hours. We'll be joining you each and every Saturday from 7 o'clock in the morning until 10 o'clock. So we are now in hour number three of our Saturday morning of radio extravaganza. Remember, Larry Kudlow comes up next here on WABC. There is no more brilliant mind than you will find with Larry Kudlow when it comes to economics, politics. Larry's just an amazing, amazing guy. We're so fortunate to have him here. And later tonight, make sure to keep it on WABC, Music Radio WABC, Cousin Brucey. Hey, what fun. You know, Donald Trump has responded to Bill Barr. Bill Barr, of course, said that Donald Trump, you know, using a broad sense of the word, was responsible for what happened on January 6th. And Barr has also gone on a tear about the election fraud, Barr says that he told Donald Trump that all this stuff was bull blank, and you know it was wrong to be shoveling it out the way his team was. And he said, Barr, that Trump became very angry about those remarks. Now, let me just say something to you. And again, I am not lashing. Well, I don't want to relitigate anything that happened in 2020, but I just want to bring your attention to some stories that came within the last two weeks. One of those stories involved the way that the Zuckerberg's money, and we had a guest on there, Scott Walters from the Center for um, uh, Research that's looking into all of this, Capital Research Center in Washington, D.C. Zuckerberg, the Zuckerberg, he and his wife put in millions of dollars to influence elections in Democrat counties in Wisconsin. That's the result of a report that was fine, and some of that activity was illegal like putting up drop boxes, illegal. That is a report that came out this week commissioned by the state legislature in Wisconsin, and it was a Supreme, a retired Supreme Court justice that led the investigation as to what happened there, not some tinfoil hat kook, but a member, a respected member of the legal community in, in, in Wisconsin. And there is also in that report, it's a 150-page report, it has been found that people in nursing homes were subjected to fraud, that people were filling in ballots when they shouldn't have for people in nursing homes. All kind of funky stuff was going on in Wisconsin. That has now been demonstrated in a report. And there have been other instances where now people that are going back and looking at the 2020 election are finding all kind of irregularities, things that should not have taken place. We do know in Pennsylvania, in Pennsylvania, 
the courts got involved and changed the rules. And that was in violation of the state's constitution. We know that. So this narrative that everything was hunky-dory, everything was tickety-boo in, in, in 2020, oh, 2020, tickety-boo, nothing wrong, nothing wrong, that's a lot of crap. There were some things that were wrong. Now, I am not saying that it would have changed the outcome of the election, so please don't put words in my mouth. I'm not going down that path. I do not want to relitigate 2020. I want us to be aware of what's going to happen in 2022 and 2024. We had a call the other day that said, James, what can we do? What can we do? There's a lot that we can do. Instead of sitting down, wasting your time, watching a bunch of players on their knees on Sundays or on the weekends, maybe you might want to have something at your house or or take part in groups where on our side we can begin to organize. Oh, yeah, 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 organize, organize. Remember how we made fun of the community organizer that ended up in the White House? Instead, we should have been looking and saying, wait a minute, how does the community organize get to the White House? Democrats rely on organization. They have thousands of organizations running around, in many cases, redundant. Some of them are raising dark money that they complain about. By the way, what a racist term, dark money. We don't want the darky money. Yeah, okay, whatever. Anyway, um, Democrats spend more dark money than Republicans do, yet they complain about it. They have organizations that they filter the dark money through. Many of these are nonprofit organizations. We complain about Democrats, but we do not organize the way Democrats do. So if you want to know one of the things that you can do, you can begin to organize. That means finding like-minded individuals who believe like you do, and now instead of just sitting down complaining about how bad things are, actually get together among yourselves and start nominating people to run for office, whether it's your school board. And you see the influence that school boards have now. These are the people that are spreading some of the chaos through the country with some of these things like the critical race theory. These are the people that kept your kids masked up, including toddlers. School boards are vitally important. And we on the Republican side have ceded their control to the left. We need to take them back. You cannot take back the school boards unless you organize and find the right candidates to run for office and then get behind them with organized support, which means having people walk the streets, having the door knockers, raising the money to do the signs. We're talking about retail politics, the things that you have to do to get elected. We have to organize. And then you can start moving to And that's simultaneously, not and then, simultaneously we need people to move and organize better in state policies. Look, I have some friends that are have written off California, and I have other friends that say, nope, we can't afford to do that. We need to organize more than ever in California. And yes, it may be a long-term battle that takes 20 to 30 years for us to succeed, but we have to organize and not just leave, throw our hands up and say, oh, we give up. Uh, one of the things that I you, do, you remember the screamer? Um, what's his name? Howard Dean, the screamer. Yeah. 
Howard Dean did something when he was running the DNC that I have always admired. Howard Dean, in those few years that he took over the DNC, said he was going to change the strategy of the party. And he wanted to make 50 state elections, meaning we're not going to give up on any state. We're going to fight in every single state, even where it looks like we might be losing. Now, what are the results of some of that? There are now purple states, as they're called, where there used to be red states. And thankfully, in one of those purple states, Virginia, we now have a governor and a lieutenant governor that are going to fight to return that into the red column. And boy, is Governor Doug Youngkin taking flack. The mainstream press, don't forget, that's home to the Amazon Prime Washington Post. And the Amazon Prime Washington Post doesn't miss a beat in trying to attack him. They're trying to make him the new DeSantis, always under attack. But this guy is all business. And every day I read his press releases or see something from his office every single day. This guy is like Trump, nonstop, nonstop. Every day he's working to make changes in Virginia. And I predict that Virginia is going to be a lot more competitive thanks to him. But Colorado was changed. And by the way, the Democrats had a plan. They were so well organized. They had a long-term plan. It was called the Colorado Blueprint. And they implemented the Colorado Blueprint. It took them, I believe, anywhere from five to seven years. But they succeeded in turning that state from a red state into a mostly blue state that sometimes still has Republicans elected. It can happen. They're trying to do the same in Texas, right? Tejas, Texas. And they want to turn Tejas into a blue state. They're not giving up on this. Every year, they spend more and more money, the Democrats do, organizing in Texas. And some people might say, well, why are they doing that? It looks like they're, no, no. They are already winning key elections in Austin, in Dallas, in Houston. And now they're starting to win in some of the smaller locales. Now, there is also something that is really amazing happening in Texas. And that's along the border. In places like Brownsville, Texas, Former Democrats, mostly Hispanic, are now turning Republican, including some of their elected officials. Because the immigration problem there is the driver, and it has gotten so out of hand under Joe Biden that many Democrats are even saying, no mas, no mas, we got to change this. So you've got Texas in this weird kind of uh, um, um, dichotomy where in the major cities, the blue cities are strengthening their power, but along the border, Hispanics are beginning to abandon Democrats in Tejas. Look at New Jersey. New Jersey has been given up by some Republicans, and and I believe that incorrectly, Republicans have stopped fighting as hard as they should to take New Jersey back. New Jersey is winnable. Hear me loud and clear again. New Jersey is a winnable state for Republicans. 
But you have to have a candidate that understands how to talk to the needs of New Jersey. New Jersey has become one of the most high-tax states in the nation. There is an opening there. New Jersey also has an education system that has long been in need of reform. You have more school districts in New Jersey than almost anywhere else in the country. It is a money pit, the way that education is run in New Jersey. And if you have the right candidate that actually talks to what the problems are for the people living in New Jersey, New Jersey can once again become a Republican state. Now, Chris Christie, to his credit, for the first few years, understood that. And then he went off on his ego trip, and you know, the rest is history there. But but a Republican in New Jersey, the right Republicans can win. We also need better organization, party organization in New Jersey. People have written off Connecticut. Connecticut, Connie Cut, is a high-tax state now as is New York, as are some parts of Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is another state that used to be reliably red. Now it's blue. The Democrats have really put together organization in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania can be taken back. So can Connecticut. All of these places can be taken back. But we have to have the political will and we have to have the organization to do it. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley, we're back. When we come back, Princess of Policy, Diana Me joins us. Don't go away. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley, is on 77 WABC. Time for Radio Royalty with James Golden and America's Princess of Policy, Princess Di. Yes, Her Highnessness, Her Royalnessness, Her She's Freaking Right About Everythingness. Even when the host of the program has other ideas, he always gets spanked on his own show from Her Royalnessness. <laughs> And we love her for it. Princess Di joins us, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome, <laughs> Princess Di. How are you today? I am wonderful, Sir James, the Knight of the Golden Order, the Duke of Snurdly, as I have so knighted you. Yes. So good to hear your voice. Who got his butt handed to him yesterday? <laughs> no. This was just—it was just—it was embarrassing. It was—it it, was—I'm still smarting over it. Just so you know, I just knew I was right. I just had you finally after all these years. I finally, oh, and then in a matter well, of you moments. You spent a lot of time DMing me on gloating. And so, you know, you set yourself up. You know what the Bible says? Pride goeth before the fall. <laughs> and now she goes biblical on me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, um, there is a, a piece in the Washington Post by uh, George Will. <laughs> Do you remember George Will? He used to be really important. 
It used to be. (laughs) And he has been dethroned in the conservative world. And one of the reasons is, is he is one of the early sufferers of Trump derangement syndrome. And interestingly enough, his syndrome goes back decades. He has hated Donald Trump for a long time before he even became part of politics. He would write columns, just (laughs) venomous columns about Donald Trump. I think it's a stylistic thing. Will is an intellectual, as you know, very bright and uses big words. And Trump is not, nor does he pretend to be. And he is seen by intellectuals as rude, crude, and socially unacceptable. And so Will just reacted to to Trump from the beginning with distaste, dis, discontent, just how dare this person even breathe. And so he has written a series of multiple columns over the years and added, added to this uh, series just recently. And it's the same thing. He basically says, and I like Trump. The opinion piece that he has in the in the Amazon Prime Washington Post <laughs> is that Donald Trump looks increasingly like a stray orange hair to be flicked <laughs> off the nation's sleeve. Well, yes, that is the that is the position of the of the political establishment. They have been trying to gin up this thesis that we can get Trump voters, but we don't want Trump, and so they have this idea of Trumpism without Trump, which is impossible. You're not going to get one without the other. And they are so upset that they cannot seem to dislodge Donald Trump from a position of influence within the political establishment in, in the specifically the Republican Party. His um, nominations and his endorsements carry great weight. What he says, even though they've tried to stamp him out from every platform, actually drives the news. And so George Will is, you know, pettily and venomously mad about that. And he is trying to advance this narrative that, you know, this is just a a temporary thing, that Trump is soon off the stage. He has no power. And they keep by saying it and repeating it. They hope to make it true. And it's not. Well, thinking about things making it true and it's not, I, there, there is something that I wanted to. I sent you this story this morning, and this story just really, I mean, I almost, I teared up, and I just wanted to have a word about it with you. It's the story about the college quarterback, and this thing went viral. And I didn't, when I saw the headline, it didn't occur to me until I read it that this kid goes to Liberty University. And I just wanted to talk right. to you about this for a minute. Now, this this is a black basketball player, and someone caught him on the street, and someone just took pictures of it, and it went viral, and they found out more about him. And this kid stopped, opened up his luggage. He was carrying luggage somewhere. He was, he was, he, he was at an NFL draft event. His name is right. Malik Willis. He's a senior at Liberty University. And... He stops with his suitcase and takes clothes out of his suitcase to give to a homeless person, a homeless woman. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know what it reminded me of? What Rush used to say, which is character is what you do when no one is looking. And he clearly had no idea someone across the street eating at a restaurant 
was videoing this exchange, and he later was interviewed about it, this uh, football prospect who was uh, in Indianapolis for the NFL Combine. He was interviewed about it, and he said he walked by the woman. He saw her on his way to this meeting with a potential sponsor, and then he didn't have any money. So when he came out of this meeting with a sponsor, they had given him a bunch of swag in a suitcase, and he realized, well, he had something to give her now. So I thought that was such an important thing that he first saw her. I mean, so many people just walk by people in need. It, it doesn't touch their heart. It doesn't even enter. We're all kind of put the wall up, you know, for anything in social interactions. We have to protect ourselves. That's our stance. And he saw her and he felt her need. And then once he had something to give her, he, he kneeled down. He knelt, actually, and got into his suitcase and gave her clothes. And it is a very moving picture because he's clearly unaware of anyone observing it. And it just reminded me, I've met over the years uh, many students that have gone to, um, and these are not the Ivy League colleges, these aren't the Harvards, these aren't the Yales. I've met many students that went to Liberty University. I've met students that have gone to Hillsdale. I've met students that have gone to some of the other lesser-known Christian universities, and they have one thing in common. They're great kids. And yeah. When you think about the the abuse that Falwell, who found Jerry Falwell, Falwell, who founded this this college, this university, and also evangelicals in general, and also Liberty University has taken from the left in general, you know, I think that they have quietly gone about building character in their students, and they attract students of character clearly, and so that's good to give it a shot, shout out. We need more of this in the world. You know, I met Jerry Falwell, and I remember reading about Jerry Falwell long before I met him. I was a kid. You know, I've been reading news since I was a kid. And so I used to read about Jerry Falwell, this evil man with, uh, with, uh, from the moral majority, and these people were right. so mean, nasty, evil, rotten to the core, stink. And then I met Jerry Falwell. And you know what, I, you know what happened when I met Jerry Falwell? He was one you of the most – I loved him. Mm. He was one of the most warm, engaging, just effusively warm. And then he invited me down to the school, and I went. And I met with him again at the school, and and I saw the school. This was back when Liberty wasn't the multi-billion dollar campus that it is today. This is when it was really a small, fledgling school still. Mm. Did and you speak there? Yeah, I spoke at Liberty a few years ago, and um, with Jerry's son, Jerry, who has been in the news for some other things, and I still consider right. Jerry a dear friend. I don't, you know, I don't care. I don't abandon my friends. And Jerry and Jerry Falwell and his family—they're just wonderful people, and I love them all. They're great people. I love them. Now, well, it's um, a good reminder for us never to believe the lies of the left and the people that they abuse. We need to give them a second look. That's right. Speaking of giving a second look, you sent me a story that I want to encourage everybody to take a look at. You sent me a story on Mark Stein. Can you briefly let our audience know, and they can find this story, I think, at the Conservative Treehouse. Is that right? It was Mark Stein discussing the Ukraine conflict and bigger stuff 
and Mark went through the four horses of the apocalypse. I watched this thing. It was amazing, Diana. Well, Mark Stein is an amazing analyst. I mean, that is one thing that you cannot go wrong. If you ever see his name anywhere to read the column, watch the video, he has got vast historical perspective and wit, and he makes it entertaining and interesting. And, you know, you and I both love him. And you also do a regular Tuesday appearance with him, which people should not miss because the back and forth is tremendous. And I don't think I can do the clip justice. I think you put it on your Twitter feed and people should go there. You cannot summarize the time. You, you have can. to ask You have that. to watch you, this clip. <laughs> this clip is so freaking, I, Diana, I was spellbound. I was like, this is <laughs> yeah. just, this is just, this, this is amazing. And so, yes, it's it's on a different level. Mark Stein, you can find it on my Twitter feed and or look for it on YouTube. Mark Stein discusses the Ukraine conflict and bigger stuff. And it is simply amazing. Last story, Diana, uh, for this morning. The states are suing Joe Biden and Merrick Garland over some of the state's attorneys are now suing them over this trying to call Uh, 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 parents that were just interested in their kids' education in these school boards, domestic terrorists. Do you think that this has legs? Is this going anywhere? Or is this one of these things that's just going to fade out and people forgot that it happened? It is going somewhere. This is an illegal process. There are quite a few states who are suing the attorney general because this this is the crux of it that they had asked for information through the, um, what is that called, where you ask for public information? Freedom of Information Act. Freedom of Information, right. I slipped my mind. And the um, the Justice Department turned them down flat and ignored them. And so they're suing to get the communication between the White House and the DOJ to see if this was a put-up job calling parents domestic terrorists by the White House. And the fact that they're not turning over any of this information tells me there's something to it. And the lawsuit is legit. Now, it reminds me of what you were just talking about, about our need to organize. Whenever we do, this is what happens. You have parents organizing. Immediately, the left understands the power of that, because this is what they do. They organize, and when they see anybody on our side starting to do a little of organizing, they immediately are afraid because they know how powerful it is. So they had the White House itself, it looks like, actually run a domestic terrorist accusation against a lot of these parents. Now, it hasn't gone anywhere. The White House and the DOJ have claimed uh, they're not going to pursue it. But this is something that they believe. The other thing is an AP story. Similarly, attacks from within seen as a growing threat to elections. I don't know if you remember this. This was also when our side organized and started putting up people for um, offices as secretary of elections, local uh, election officials. And the left immediately knew this is terrible. This we cannot have because if we have people from the conservative or Republican side in positions of power, they can affect by making legit and fair the outcome of the elections. And so they're ginning up this with the AP saying this is called attacks from within. In other words, people who have elective 
office, elective electoral positions, are attacking by making it honest. So you, you're right. The organization is a threat on our side to them, and we need to do more of it. And the signs that it is effective are these attacks in the media. And we should never forget Lois Lerner at the IRS who got away with attacking the Tea Party when they were trying to organize from her offices in government, and yet today she sits collecting her pension, no accountability whatsoever. Exactly right. Diana Mee, Princess of Policy, the one, the only, Her Royal Highness, thank you as always. Diana, we look forward to hearing you from you next week, and I will never again gloat in advance (laughs) that I am right because I'm still smarting for it, your highnessnessness. Ness, Ness. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sir James. All right, we'll see you next week. James Golden, a.k.a. Boston Early. Coming back, your call's coming up. Don't go away. Oh, knows politics and so much more. A true connection to real New York on 77 WABC. One of the truly great artists of the last century. That sounds so weird, doesn't it? The last century. But it is the truth. Bill Withers, and this is Lovely Day. When I wake up in the morning, love, and the sunlight hurts my eyes. WABC Talk Radio 77. And the world is so right. Just one look at you. Just one look at you. And I know it's gonna be a Yes, that's Bill Withers, James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdy, which we hear on WABC. We have a lovely day each and every Saturday, and we invite you to be a part of it. Now, starting at 7 o'clock in the morning, have your first cup of coffee with us here on WABC Talk Radio 77. Let's head back to the phones. Chris from the Catskills in New York. Chris, welcome, WABC. Thank you for James? waiting, Chris. I am here. My phone's hot. I was on hold for a while. I had you on speaker. You know, you have a great voice over the air, and you work for one of the best. You know, carrying airtime by yourself is the hardest thing in talk radio, and you're doing a great job. You know, and you, Curtis Sliwa comes before you, and, and I, I think Curtis Sliwa and Chris Mad Dog Russo, I'm a connoisseur of talk radio. They're the two best at carrying airtime by themselves. But, man, you're doing a great job. So we've been talking about politics last time you and I talked, and uh, I think, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of, Rudy Giuliani, maybe it's because I saw the Charlie Wilson's war and uh, how he had gone after him when he was a young prosecutor for, I guess, using cocaine when he was uh, in the House of Representatives. I thought it was kind of petty uh, for what a great congressman he was. But <laughs> I I was very surprised when I heard Andrew Giuliani speak, how intelligent he is. I think he sounds brighter than his dad even. And I think, you know, Mr. Uh, you know, Mayor Giuliani was a bright guy back in his day. And uh, I was kind of surprised he got less than 1% of the vote at the Republican state convention. But I really think if he employs the correct strategies, he can do much better in the primary for governor. 
I think Andrew Giuliani is one of the rising stars, and I agree with you in that. Um, Andrew grew up in politics. He understands politics. He understands public service issues. He understands policy. And Andrew is great. Now, I think Rudy is just an amazing man. And let me just go back. I met Rudy when he was, uh, I met Rudolph Giuliani when he was still um, a U.S. attorney. And he, even back then, look, we we underestimate. Sometimes when we look back at history, we don't remember what what was involved with certain decisions. Like when Rudy Giuliani decided he was going to take on the mafia in New York, the mafia ran New York. The five families ran so much activity in New York from waste collection to running the underbelly of the garment industry in New York and skimming off of that from the numbers, rackets, from organized prostitution to everything else. Now, <clears throat> we were living in an age back then. The Godfather was out, Godfather 2. That was before that dreadful Godfather 3 movie. But the first two Godfathers were out, and people were glorifying the mob life. And by the way, that continues now when you look at black culture, this glorification of criminality. And let me be candid. I I think The Godfather is one of my favorite movies of all time. And, you know, Michael Corleone and, and all of that. There are so many things in that that I know that we have this moral compass, but still sometimes you fall in love with the villains. Because the villains are so powerful and they're so and they were portrayed so amazingly, but but Rudy went after the mob at a time when nobody else would do it, and as a result of that, the mob stranglehold in New York was broken. You then look and advance yourself to when Rudy became mayor of New York, when Rudolph Giuliani became mayor. This city was a mess. It was a mess. People were afraid to walk the streets because the criminals had overrun the city. Kind of like now, right? Dinkins was too busy playing tennis and worried about the headboard on his in his Gracie Mansion bedroom than actually solving the problems of the people of New York who wanted to live in safe communities who wanted to walk the streets. Now, Rudolph Giuliani came into the mayorship, and his first emphasis was to get rid of the most obvious signs of criminal behavior, and that's the extortion rackets that were going on with people just driving in and out of the city with these guys squeegeeing up, dirtying up your windshields, and then demanding money, or if you didn't pay up, it looks like they might kick your butt. He cleaned all that up. And within a few months and a few Months after that, all of a sudden, law enforcement began to get the upper hand in New York again. Criminals were in jail instead of on the street. And New York became safe. I realized that New York had become a safer town. I will never forget this for some strange reason. I was outside at an outside restaurant, and it was like 1.30 in the morning in Midtown. And... um. I was there with a friend of mine, a musician friend. We had come from a concert or something, from seeing someone live, and we were just out talking, 
And I'm watching, um, it was near a train station, a subway station. And you could tell that the subway, because people were coming out of the subway station. And there were loads of single women that were coming out. And I remarked to my friend, this is interesting. I haven't seen single women, this many single women, walking unafraid in New York in a very long time. And New York had become so safe at that point that people felt free to walk the streets of Manhattan after midnight. And to me, that was a big deal. And it still is a big deal. Now people are afraid again in the subways of New York. Rudy did that. And then after 9-11. So, look, I hear what you're saying about Rudy and maybe what you thought was petty, but I don't think we should forget how great a leader Rudolph Giuliani has been for most of his life and what he has done for the city of New York. And I am proud to have uh, my show come after Rudy Giuliani's show. I think Rudy Giuliani the most amazing public servants that New York has ever seen. And I hope Andrew has a great career. Chris, thank you for calling and waiting. We appreciate it so much. Let's go to Judy in Westchester. Judy, welcome. WABC Talk Radio 77. Oh, Bo, I've been, oh my gosh, I'm, I've been waiting to talk with you. You know, I have a theory. Um, you talked about uh, Biden. Why, why hasn't he cut off uh, the Russian fuel and everybody's I mean everybody's asking for it even uh, uh, Nancy Pelosi even Pelosi right you know, yeah I think that you know you know he has he's been entangled his entire family with getting money from uh, the Ukraine from Russia he has so many entanglements he's got so much so much undercover stuff going on and, and, and criminal activity and, and money to add to his coffers that maybe he has some investments in this whole thing. Maybe he gets hmm. a kickback. Who hmm. knows if he even gets a kickback from getting, get, you know, getting, uh, well, uh, not, buying the oil. Not I mean, Judy. He's, he, he's Judy. He's the, so Judy. Joe Biden yeah. is the president of the United States. How can we I, speculate? How can we speculate on his having a crime family while he's also the president? Tisk, well, I'm tisk, just trying. I know you. I know you're being cynical, but I'm yes. just trying to figure it out. Like with the COVID, the whole COVID thing coming, you know, coming from bats. It, you got to look at the bigger picture. I mean, what is the big picture going on with him turning off the pipeline immediately and now? Really, I mean, he could have negotiated. I mean, uh, he could have negotiated much harder with Russia. I mean, who knows? He had he had the leverage, and he didn't use it when when he had a chance. I just feel so helpless and so badly. Judy, don't feel so helpless for us. Look, let me tell you something. Joe Biden is a blip in American history, and we will be rid of this blip in a few years. And guess what? America can always come back from these blips in history. So don't lose heart over what happens today. Today will pass, and we will have a brighter day. And that goes for us in New York City, too. Look, I understand we live in challenging times. 
Let's not ever lose our optimism for a brighter tomorrow. Because it is totally put tomorrow. Remember, it's only a day away. Uh, Diane Brooklyn, welcome WABC Talk Radio 77 with James Golden, a.k.a. Snurdly. Hello? Hi, Diane. What's going on, Diane? Yeah, I hear you're on the speakerphone. Diane, come off the speaker. I want to put you on hold. We got to go to a break. Don't go in. You've been there. Stay there. But come off the speaker. We'll be right back, and we'll take your call. James Golden, WABC Talk Radio 77. Back with Diane. Oh, knows politics. And so much more. A true connection to real New York on 77 WABC. Is Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell, one of the most incredible duos of the Motown era. the hit days, Hitsville, USA. You know, Motown had some amazing songwriters. Uh, Holly and Dozier Holland, Ashford and Simpson. And then you look, Marvin later became a composer and writer. Uh, and you had Stevie, of course. I mean, what an amazing, amazing catalog of music. And of course, Tammy Terrell, the beautiful Tammy Terrell. Thank you, Diego. Diego picks our music each and every week. And Diego, I, I do. Diego's a, form, a musician, aside from being an amazing stellar broadcast engineer, part of our crew here on Saturdays, as is Ryan taking your calls, and my chief engineer, Scott Sokol. And the, we have, I'm telling you, it is not one person that does this. If you don't have a team, you're not going to have a good radio show. And I have a great team here, and I am so appreciative of you guys each and every week. Thank you for all that you do. Gracie Rockland County, welcome. WABC Talk Radio 7. Hi, Gracie. Hi, hi, Lord Snurdly. How are you? Hold on, you? Gracie. I got to put you on hold. I'm fine. I forgot it. Gracie, don't go away. Diane. Diane. I was waiting so long. I finally had to go bathroom and that's when you call me okay. tmi tmi diane <laughs> what's on your mind diane okay basically when you were talking about the electric cars way in the beginning yeah okay this is what i gotta say about that now with with all the money that this guy has got and he wants to put out all this electric stuff why doesn't he fund to harden? Why doesn't he harden our uh, grid, electric grid? Because nobody else will do it. 
the government won't do it. The companies, uh, the energy companies won't do it. It would only take around $10 billion, according to Peter Pry, who's an expert at this. And, and if we have an EMP attack, everything goes down. There's no energy for anything, including nuclear power plants, the cooling systems. They would go down. Everything would go down, you know. And, and Russia, Russia has their electric grid hardened. We don't. Ours is wide open, open for an EMP attack, which could happen. All it takes is one small nuke going 200 miles up. It would, it would burn out the whole electric grid. I'm telling you, it's totally Diane, you are a wealth of information. First of all, just your facts, your, your, your knowledge of the facts on this are stunning. And I thank you. So your question is, why can't Elon Musk harden the grid? It's wide open. And you know what? That's a great question because it'll only take a few billion dollars. And this guy's worth trillions. So the next time we get Elon Musk on the line, we'll ask him that question. And you raise a valid point. Your, your electric companies aren't going to do it. Nobody else is going to do it. Elon Musk, step up to the plate. Harden that grid. It's wide open. Diane, actually brilliant call. And your mastery of the facts on this are just amazing, stunning. Thank you for listening. We appreciate you. Gracie, thank you for holding. And thanks for waiting, Diane. Gracie, my Gracie, welcome. WABC Talk Radio 77. How are you today, Gracie? Glad you have the extra hour. You're great. And uh, but th- I want to tie two points. Why is Biden doing what he's doing? Uh, I agree. What we didn't have the Clinton Foundation, so we have the Biden crime family. That's number one. Either that, or he doesn't know what's going on. And and the people that are pulling the strings. It's either two things are. Uh, they want to change our beautiful country. Now, this is what the problem is. I know he's a blimp. I pray to God. But if the people who don't like Trump, like Will and Crystal and, and the, uh, you know, the rhinos, don't get on board, we are never going to win. The same people that hate Trump are the same people that disliked our rush. Because Rush won the hearts and minds of his followers. He was us, and Trump is us. I'm Gracie, never going to turn against them. Thank you. Gracie, thank you so much. Gracie, I want to comment on that, but first I want to take another call. Jamie in Florida. Jamie, what, are you calling from the sixth borough of New York? What part of Florida are you calling from? Yes, I am. I'm, I'm in Ocala. Uh, everything is going super great. Um, but I'm really in New York. I hate everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I, I get emotional. That's okay. But anyway, I, I love your voice. I love the way it sounds, but I also love the way, I also love the message that you have. I think you are a warrior, and I think you're right. The, the Republican Party doesn't fight. And we need warriors like you. So I think that you should run for office, man. Well, I'll tell you what. I would never I would never be successful running for office because I am not going to tolerate some of the BS you have to tolerate if you're a politician. You know, people come to me, I'm not going to give them the answer. I tell them to kiss my you-know-what. And, and, and I, I tried before to do 
you know, once I was approached about going into the um, into the administration of uh, uh, when Republicans got elected, and I had an interview, and I flunked the interview because I just told it like it was, and they're like, "Oh hell no, we would never have you in government. You you you'd be a problem." So uh, no, I'm here where I belong on the radio. I'll leave it up to more people that are actually diplomatic, and I'm not to go into the uh, world of politics. Let us go to John Vito in Staten Island. For John Vito, quickly, what is on your mind this morning? I am going to rush because I'm going to put it in. There is any any possibility to have a people in charge to go for a medical mental test uh, because it looks like we have someone that has no brain over there to be at the at the arm, to be at the you know running the ship on the ocean, which we're going down somewhere not too uh, great. So someone's going to step up and get this guy here, set him down, sit him down, and um, have a good examination and make sure this guy is fit to stay with Well, him. you know, on the area of fitness in Joe Biden, yes, this has been an area that's up for discussion. I just caution everybody, remember who's sitting in the second seat before we make any changes or before people demand changes. Just remember who's sitting in that second seat over there. Trisha, Connecticut, WABC Talk Radio 77. What's on your mind, Trisha? Welcome. Hi, I'm calling from AKA Corruptacut. I hope it's right, you're <laughs> right. It can turn red again, but I'm skeptical. Most of my Tea Party friends have fled the state. And um, in the cities, they're owned by Democrats. People vote genetically Democrat. And they just don't think logically and there's too many people in the wagon being carried by the few well you know that's one of the things that i found interesting about rick scott's uh proposal before i was told that he was working in tandem with mitch mcconnell um anyway uh the idea that everyone should have skin in the game would solve a lot of that but i do think that connecticut is salvageable long term and guess what I think, and I know what cities you're talking about. You're talking about like Bridgeport and Hartford and all that stuff. Now, you know, those of us that live in this area, those of us that grew up here, we know, we know what life has been like in some of these Connecticut cities, but so do the residents. And this is why I said that we have to, and I admired the, the plan that Howard Dean put forth. You know what? We can't just sit on the sideline of these cities and just point our fingers and hope they change. We have to go in these cities, and we have to make the case for the voters there that they don't have to live with squalor, that they don't have to live with crime, that they don't have to live with their children not being educated properly, that they, have, that they don't have to live in communities that have very little opportunity for their children to advance. In other words, that they don't have to live under Democrat Party oppression. And it is going to be tough to make that case in the beginning. But let me tell you something. If we start making the case and continue to make the case, it will take. And it may take 20 years to make the case. But guess what? We better get started because unless we win back American cities, we can never truly have the America that all of us want where prosperity is once again the birthright of every American and not just some, where every American experience can experience the liberty and the freedom 
that is our birthright as American citizens, where children are no longer taught to hate America, but to love this country for all that this country has to offer. We have to take back our cities. We have to take back the blue cities in Connecticut, in New York, in New Jersey, in Pennsylvania, and around the country. And we can do it. We have to get started. We have to organize. And we cannot give up on ourselves. We cannot give up on our fellow countrymen and women just because they happen to live under Democrat oppression. Three hours has come and gone so quickly. New York, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, New Jersey, we are all New York. We are the greatest city in the world. Our people are great. And we live in the greatest nation humanity has ever, ever witnessed, the United States of America. God bless each and every one of you and your families. And we pray to God he looks with favor upon those suffering in the Ukraine.